What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Garrett's Potable. We've got a good one this week. Jordan Strebeck is back um, to give us his manifesto on how to save college football. And uh, before we get into that, we uh, talk about the bowl game. And uh, it's been a while, but it's still worth going back and talking about. So here we go. Hey, before we get to the podcast, I just want to do make sure I shout out our sponsor, Prime Residential Mortgage Incorporated. They're the Lending with Passion division of Primary Residential Mortgage Inc. Whether you're buying, refinancing, or taking cash out of your home, PRMI can help. Rates are still near all-time lows, and our mortgage experts can help find the best mortgage solution for you. They can help you with purchasing your dream home, an investment property, a vacation home, whatever you need, they can help you with. They have locations all over the state of Texas, but they complete the entire process online, and it's easy, and and they just love working with fellow Red Raiders. They can be reached at prmiraider at primeres.com, through the website at www.lendingwithpassion.com, or by phone at 214-736-9466. So get in touch with them for, for any of your needs for anything like that. All right, we are here. A little bit of a break. Been a busy and weird week or two, but we're back. I'm here with Hunter Davidson and Jordan Strebeck making his triumphant return to the podcast after his uh, now famous defending of Sonny Cumby, who uh, we're about to talk about. I mean, like, I don't think you're, they people called it a commercial for Sonny Cumby. I don't think like there could have been a better commercial. And it was it, a polarizing yeah. episode. People it was, but I, <laughs> but you won because yeah, he's not the offensive coordinator at Texas tech, but it, he just, and we're about to, like I said, we're about to talk about the bowl game. Like there's no better evidence for your side than what we just watched a couple weeks ago. Against and I will State. say before we get into that, um, it was the most listened to episode so far. You know, That's this, true. Is, yeah. this is a unique podcast. Very unique. <laughs> Everybody has one. But nobody else hates their own podcast more than Taylor. I mean, everybody else loves their own podcast. They sell it every second that they can. They have T-shirts and merchandise, and they have NFTs and crypto spinoffs of their podcast. This is not like that. And I, I did get access recently to the numbers behind the podcast and confirmed that we, we do have approximately 20 listeners. But the one that Jordan was on was a big time spike. Yes. Uh, and 26, 26 listens. <laughs> yeah, it was in the 30s. It was in the high 30s. And but I will say one thing about Taylor's podcast is he there is people listen all the way through. We don't have a lot of listeners, but they they listen Stop all the way. Stop calling through. it Taylor's podcast. This is from here, it's potable, it's the people's podcast. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyways, that, that's just some kind of administrative items about the numbers. <laughs> Well, yeah, for the I mean, record, I'm really happy with how that all worked out. Um, I think I think Law Tech's a great spot uh, for Sonny. I think he's going to do great there. I think uh, what a unique situation that all was. And for both administrations to let him come back, and not just him, but Keith, uh, 
for uh, the administration at Abilene Christian to let him come back to uh, Coach Patterson and them both coach. Uh, I think that that all worked out really well. And then I'm really excited for the Kitley era. I think, uh, as, as I think I mentioned on the podcast, I think Zach is a fantastic uh, offensive mind. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what, what he'll do here. I like to think of that less as an infomercial for Sonny and more a, of an expository analysis of the data that wound up pointing towards the signs being Sonny was a pretty darn good offensive coordinator. But well, we hired him. You know, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm going to miss Cumbie's offense for sure because it was unique to tech, I guess, in the sense that it did think, you know, we could um, hold the ball if we wanted to at times. We could score from any part of the field. You know, we could put up points by only running like 54 plays, Yeah. Uh, you know, whereas in the past we would need to have like a hundred plays to, to really like get in a groove. Uh, and so I'll miss that aspect, you know, used like tight ends, every, mm-hmm. there were a lot of kind of diversified touches. Um, but yeah, so I hope we, uh, I hope we did good. I, I am, I'm fine with, with Kitley. I would have been fine with either one, um, but it is kind of, you know, sad to see Sonny go. Sure. I do think it's fitting that two of my favorite bowl memories, uh, probably my two favorite bowl memories uh, as a as a tech fan, uh, involve Sonny at, at 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 the at the helm. So yeah, man, that's probably true for that's probably true for a lot of people. Now yeah, that I know, think about it, he's such a bizarre because like, I mean, he was only really hands on in two seasons. Yeah, you know, his, his one yeah. quarterback season yep. and then his one season has an OC that, but it feels true. like it feels like he's been a, with the program for 50 years oh. yeah it, I mean, yeah there's I mean something about, there's something about guys that you know I mean you, you have to have a certain amount of you have to be a little bit you have to you have to have a, a certain amount of irrational self-confidence to walk on as a quarterback from Snyder Texas and be like yeah you know I can beat out you know five-star incoming recruit Robert Johnson or whoever you know I mean like uh, and obviously there's something to that uh, in terms of him, you know, the, the, that 2014 clearly, you know, rallied around him and respected him and, and was led by him. And there was something different uh, when he took over the team uh, midseason. And I think, you know, Matt Wells probably deserves a lot of credit for recruiting really good kids and having a good staff assembled in place. But Sonny unlocked something different. And, yeah, you know, a lot of people don't know that the day he introduced the pump jack, uh, was the day that they announced Joey McGuire. So that was the day that they basically all found out, hey, we don't know if we'll have jobs. And yeah. Sonny was planning on rolling in there and kind of like talking about this pump jack mentality thing. It was perfect uh, and, for and, that and, I mean, situation. Just, it, that's exactly right. It wound up kind of yeah. like catching on. Um, Antonio Huffman, I think, deserves a ton of credit for getting the pump jack, you know, chain made. And he got that like, you know, four foot tall pump jack on the sideline. He found some company in like level land to fabricate that. And just all the things that went into that, it was really a team effort, but that was like fun and inspiring to watch as a tech fan for sure. And yeah. Couldn't, couldn't wish any more good on all those guys. I think the way you put that was correct. Um, you know, we've talked about it a lot, so we don't really have to rehash it, but tech caught a lot of flack for firing wells when they did. But I don't think anybody who watched this team and monitored this program would ever imagine that finish with mm-hmm. Wells as the head coach. And that is, I guess, you know, negative about Wells, but it's just it's just the facts. Like we, we watched it. We watched games that should have been one slip away. We saw mistakes in the final moments that, you know, could have turned, um, you know, hard fought losses into hard fought victories. 
Um, mm-hmm. And there's just something about, and who, I mean, and that's just, that's just what makes good coaches, good coaches. And we've seen it with Sonny is you take, you know, there's an old saying in, in coaching, like, um, you know, they could have taken our kids and beat us with theirs, you know, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what, that's almost kind of what you feel like with Sonny is he took the exact same roster that Matt Wells had, you know, dominated an Iowa state team offensively, I should say um, that we've never been able to, to even come close to doing that probably should have beat Baylor who ended up winning the conference and then beats mm-hmm. Mississippi state who were, you know, a double digit underdog two in the bowl game that never happens under Matt Wells. It just doesn't. And it's the yeah. exact same roster. Yeah. I think, I think an underrated aspect, and this isn't to like, you know, discredit Sonny, uh, but it's, but just something that I wouldn't have thought would happen, but maybe with hindsight should have um, is just, you know, firing wells and kind of, it caused the team to really, they were almost like this cutoff, like platoon, you know, they, yeah. it's like they, all their officers were killed. It was like, they, they hadn't, they were going to die no matter what, you know, there was <laughs> nothing, that, nothing from this season was going to carry forward, but all they had to, all they could do was just kind of, rally together and, and and play every game like all right, let's just go try to win this game and I think you if you listen and kind of context it you know like Schooler had an interview and it was maybe um, <clears throat> after OU but uh, before Iowa State or maybe after Iowa State they were like kind of ticked off about what was going on you know I mean like their coach gets fired and then they're trying to prepare for the next game and they the distraction of hiring another coach happens and it's just, you know, Joel Filani's tweet kind of had like a, a hidden context there about you know, everybody's doubting us and putting us through this unnecessary adversity. And I think in a way it did kind of turn, flip to, to a positive of, of this, of a team that played like they had absolutely nothing to lose and it, it just playing for themselves. It was nothing, like it was almost kind of a, a middle finger to tech. I don't know if it'd be tech or tech fans or anyone else. Like we're going to go win. We're going to go beat Iowa state. We're going to go win this bowl game. You know, y'all kind of doubted us. And, and I think that was something that was underrated about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like almost the, (laughs) the process in and of itself was a bad thing that rallied the team, you know, like that's a really weird comment. Like it has to be, I can't think of another example where that happened, where, a team is pissed off at the administration and wins games. They shouldn't because of that. Like it's a really weird <laughs> dynamic, but I mean, I think you saw a culmination of all these things that we're talking about in that bowl game. I mean, that first drive, like I haven't yeah, felt can, that way. Can either of y'all ever remember a, a, a drive of like a full field length drive that didn't involve any passing yards. Oh, in the last it was bizarre about that. So easy too, just like yeah. bam, 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 bam. So in these bowl games, there's been COVID people and in, in, in a bunch of them. And the line is moving like crazy uh, on this news. Like just this Kansas, I mean, this LSU Kansas State one is an extreme one. I mean, it was, I know people that got L, or Kansas State plus three and it closed Kansas State minus 10 because of COVID issues with LSU. And there's plenty of other examples, but with tech, it, I mean, I was kind of telling people the day of the game, getting information that Mississippi State was missing these guys, but the line never reacted. It's like I don't, I don't understand why Tech was like immune. People just doubted us. I guess yeah, I don't know that that, it didn't has matter to be. that well, Mississippi State was missing all these guys. Because I, I honestly think it's like if you look at our if you look at our defense throughout the year when we've struggled is 
not against teams that'll come out there with like 12 or 13 personnel or like heavy run formations. And I think we've, we, we've talked about this a little bit and y'all I know have talked about it separately in posts and other things else. When we struggled is when our linebackers had to play in space. Yeah. And so I just thought this is the worst possible matchup. Yes. for Tech. But Charles Cross being out, not because of COVID, but just because it, he was electing not to play uh, for NFL reasons. I, I thought it was pretty big because Tyree Wilson just had a day. It wasn't just the two sacks. I, I, Hunter, you might have talked about the the play where he rushed initially, and then when the, the running back from Mississippi State leaked out as a safety valve, he just yeah. peeled off with him, and third and two broke up that play. Yeah. Biggest play of the game. Play. Yeah, it's, I mean, he just, it's he thirteen to six. Thirteen game. to six. They have the ball first possession of the second half. It's third and two, mm-hmm. and they have a play that I'm sure they run frequently in that situation. If they convert that. And I mean, it's a totally that changed the game completely. And then and we were all over it. I mean, uh, it was it was literally as if Patterson knew exactly what they were going to do and baited them into that. And I can tell you from experience, like, again, different levels, but you tell that to your defensive ends all the time. You know, if you see a running back cross your face, go with him. And that. (laughs) never happens like you know what it made me think of it made me think of gary moore uh watching joe mixon leak out leak out to his left as joe mixon leaks out to the offensive formation and we've got ou stopped uh in that game you know where baker and pat eats three for a billion yards and and gary moore goes yeah Yeah. it's like who's guarding that guy oh that's supposed to be me yeah yeah tyree wilson also had uh a Great play on a third and two in the first half when it was 10 to seven. And they ran, they just tried to run, they had numbers and tried to run the ball. And Tyree Wilson just completely uh, got in the backfield and and made contact. And we're, they were all stopping for no game. And then there was also a third and 11, uh, I think, in the first half uh, where um, Rodgers had a guy sort of open and missed him by like four feet. Yeah. Uh, and it was because Tyree Wilson was about to make pain happen in the backfield so I, I really thought Tyree Wilson like the, when I came, went back and watched the game a second time it was ridiculous how he just abused their offensive line yeah and that's the thing that was so awesome to see and, and again I think this comes from coaching and just motivation uh, and getting your guys to play was I mean and like I said the first drive made me feel things like things great <laughs> things. and like I mean, you just went out and you punt. There have been so many times as tech fans, we know the feeling of like we took the first punch and now we're kind of scrambling. Like what, what what's that was the opposite. I mean, they went out and delivered like a knockout punch on that first drive. And Mississippi State, they didn't really ever recover. It was, you know, and, and Hunter, you tweeted it. Tony Bradford said all week in the bowl stuff that like they just assumed we're from the S, like they were telling our guys, we play in the SEC we're going to be fine. Basically we're more physical and I don't know if tech took that personally or what, but I mean, they just went out there and, and, and just out physical them, which was awesome to see, you know, it just, it's rare. And so I, I enjoyed every bit of it. Yep. Yeah. It's one of the biggest ass kickings of a power five team that we put on someone in years. I mean, you, you really have to go back to pro- not a non Kansas uh, one. I mean, it's going to be a West Virginia game uh, maybe a couple years ago or the 2012 yeah. one, something like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it was just – and I know the score was close in the first half, 
shouldn't and have been. It shouldn't have been. And and that's something that I kind of wanted to, you know, I, I like I mentioned before we hit record, I did the morning drive with Chuck the morning after the game. And he asked me how I thought uh, Donovan Smith played. And I was like, you know, inconsistent, up and down. And he, like, jumped all over me. And he was like, he, he won offensive MVP. And I was like, I know he did. But, like, the first half was legitimately bad. Like, I was expecting – I mean, I was texting Hunter. Like, I expected to see – I think I said, if if we don't score here or have a good drive, I expect to see Baron Morton come in. And that was the, like – three play 98 yard drive <laughs> you know and after that it kind of turned it on a little bit but it was it was a very weird first half where tech was in control but the score didn't show it and it was one of those like oh crap is this gonna be one of those games where like you should be up 26 to, or 27 to 6 or whatever but uh, he eventually turned it on and played I mean that looked like Iowa State Donovan Smith to me yeah he yeah, second he half was, one it was yeah, he was two halves for him, for sure. Yeah, he was decent in the first half, or in the first quarter. I'm sorry, in the yeah. first quarter. He had a couple decent throws. He climbed the pocket a couple times. He was patient. Second quarter, I thought it was pretty, you know, pretty rough. I think he probably checked out of a run on, like, third and 18, where we would have gotten in the field goal range with, like, a simple four- or five-yard run. And instead, he threw a slant and got an earful from Covey on the sideline. And that pretty clearly looked to be a check. Uh, yes, at the yeah, line. a slant that had no chance. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and he missed a couple guys. And then in the second half, really, I think his only error was he underthrew. You know, Dalton Rigdon was behind his guy by like three. Yards. That would have been that would have been a nice one to have too. But yeah. yeah. But other than that, you know, I thought he actually in the first quarter when I went back and rewatched, I was like, man, he actually made three really nice throws. He had that long third down throw. I think it was third down to Trey Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, he had a nice one in a hook zone to uh, to Miles Price and had another nice one where he kind of climbed the pocket and scrambled to his left and hit uh, Bradley out on the sideline. Uh, you know, had a couple of throws where it was like, oh, OK, he got through his progressions and like actually made a, a good decision in the second quarter. I don't know what happened. Yeah, it's one of those performances where I, I was ready to pretty much like call call the quarterback competition. Like Shucks the guy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I just was ready. I mean, I think I told Hunter as much. Like he fits the offense. Um, but after watching that second half, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Which is a good thing. Like it's a good thing to have competition in that spot, especially considering somebody's gonna get hurt. We're gonna play more than one quarterback. I'm just gonna assume that until we don't. Um, so it was, it, it was nice to see, cause I was starting to get worried. Like I, and Hunter and I have discussed it, but we were starting to get concerned that Cumbie doesn't like, didn't think Smith was very good based off the way he was calling the game. Like, it was like, let this guy throw, or if you're not, you obviously don't trust him, especially in that Baylor game. Uh, but so it was nice to see everything kind of work together in the second half. No doubt. Yeah, and it's easy to play a good offense when you're just totally shutting the other team down, you know, defensively. Yeah. I mean, fewest points that we've allowed uh, against a Power 5 team not named Kansas since 2007 when we beat wow. Aggie and Baylor and held them to seven points. It's like the strangest – it's the the season that – the defensive season is just one of the most bizarre things that I've seen following Tech because – it's like I don't know if they are as bad as some of our worst defenses or if they're the best defense we've had in 15 years. Uh, they're both. That's why it makes no sense. Like they're they're absolutely both. Um, 
and it's like the the TCU performance is the one that I'll never understand. And it's probably the one that got Wells fired ultimately. Uh, I don't think you fire Wells after Kansas State. But it, but it almost makes it more justified, though, right? Because yeah. if you when your defense plays the way it did for 75% of the season, the, those performances against UT and TCU, um, there's it just makes it that much more unexplainable, that much more of a kind of a if, – if this was allowed to have happened, then something is seriously wrong. Yeah. You know, yes, it, it just be it would be much more it would be excusable if there were lapses against, you know, all the time, because then you could kind of point to, OK, it's personnel or or something like that. But that's a good point, because I've been in I've been in Sunday meetings where, you know, the defensive coordinator will come in and say, like, this is how we're going to defend this. And the head coach looks at it and is like y'all need to go back into the office. Like that is stupid. <laughs> like, I don't know what, what you thought, but that's not what we're doing. And they go back and they, and so that, that, I haven't actually thought about that, but that's the fact that like a foot wasn't put down on that TCU game plan and saying like, this is not how we're going to defend them is, is a pretty good indictment of the guy who's running the program. Um, but yeah, I don't know. If I, think, got- I think it'll be interesting next year. We'll see. Uh, we'll be able to kind of really compare if Adrian Fry has a big role, if Boyer Randall has a big role, if Josiah Pierre does, even like Krishan Merriweather, you know, all, all those guys at various times or maybe for the most of the season were kind of put way aside because they just we just lost faith in them for, for whatever reason. And some of those buttons, some of those buttons worked, some of them didn't because we we took Krishan out and seemingly blamed him for the, for the Texas game. And then the TCU game happened. And then Krishan played great the rest of the year. So we'll see, you know, we shall see if uh, we were kind of wrong on some of those evaluations or using them incorrectly because with the new staff, they'll have a kind of a blank slate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, you got anything on the, uh, anything else on the bowl game before we move on? Nope. I did. One other thing I thought was really interesting was when Eric Monroe got his helmet knocked off and had to come out. They didn't put – I kind of, in my mind, penciled Kosai Eldridge in as a linebacker, like a more of a coverage kind of dime nickel linebacker, but they actually put him in, in Eric Monroe's spot from what I could tell, which I thought was interesting. They did that I mean, a few times. He played like probably half a dozen nickel snaps, which I yeah. thought was kind of interesting. Because he is undersized for a linebacker. Mm-hmm. He, he fits I, that role. He fits that role well. Like I, I think his, his linebacker – origins I guess kind of make him a a better tackler than Monroe probably is even though I thought Monroe was an improved tackler this year compared to last year mm-hmm. yes, um, absolutely. but uh so it'll be interesting to see where he fits into Reuter's scheme yeah um, because there's not that third safety a lot that mm-hmm. we played with that Monroe and Kosai Eldridge will play but we got a lot we got a lot of time to talk about that <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, so the main reason uh we get on here um, is we got texts from Jordan, like a madman, just like he, he knows how to fix college football and he's going to tell us. Wait, that is, that is, that is wildly inaccurate. <laughs> That's how I remember it. It was just, it was like, it was basically like a ransom note style, like one letter, one word at a time, like just a hundred texts, just, I don't know, four in the morning. It was wild stuff, but they're good ideas. So that's what we're going to <laughs> That's what we're going to, we're going to discuss those. Um, so I'll just kind of hand it over to you. And, and like I said, these are, 
I think we're all kind of, we've seen it on the site. There's been plenty of, of threads about it. Like interest is waning college football. The same teams are winning. Um, like what's the point NIL, all these buzzword type things. Uh, a lot of them are having a, a tangible impact. So uh, yeah, I think with, yeah. And the NIL is probably causing a lot of people to think about this. Yes. And, and it's, it's funny, like every single school, except for maybe, I don't know. I mean, even like if you get on Texas, their boards and they're, they're kind of not, maybe not on the cutting edge, but ahead of most, most universities in terms of setting up NIL programs. I mean, even the consensus over there is like, like NIL is going to ruin college football. Yeah. And it's just, you know, the concept of paying players and it's like for for me and I, I could be totally wrong, but it's, it's college football is almost like this massive bubble um, where, you know, the players aren't paid. Okay. Everybody knows that, but maybe 10 or 15 years ago, at some point, the TV contracts just got crazy. And so it's so much money. And, and it seems like most of it went to facilities and coaching salaries. And that maybe was in the back of people's minds, but it certainly, in my opinion, led to NIL and like, okay, we, the players have to get paid too. I mean, this is just ridiculous. There's so much money involved. And and in my opinion, you know, the amateur model of college football is so unique. I mean, there's nothing to compare it to. And that's why it's hard because people will say like, you know, this is in what world are you not paid for your services? And and it's just hard to make that kind of comparison to, you know, real life, a job to the amateur model of college football. But, it, but I'm of the belief that the reason why there are so many eyeballs, so many people drawn to college football and to watch it, which turned into these big TV contracts is the amateur model itself. I mean, that's kind of what draws everyone in. And so, 20, 30 years from now, or however long, if this does spiral out of control the way message boards think, and these players are getting paid, you know, there's a rumor that AM spent $25 million on their signing class. You know, will there still be that same interest uh, in the in the sport? And I don't, I don't know. And so I think that is probably what just to kind of lay like a foundation, because I know some of Jordan's suggestions have nothing to do with NIL, which in their unique and pretty good and some of them do obviously and then we've also got um cody campbell wrote that op-ed piece for the fort worth paper proposing kind of his own um pure socialist marxist level uh, <laughs> deal of where everyone gets the same no matter you know who you are and i like it i mean uh, but we'll, t- we'll talk about that so that's kind of the intro to it uh before i hand it over to jordan one thing that i wanted to say um and you you said it there like even the texas boards are are saying like this is the end of college football when they seem to be taking advantage of it more than anybody else that that lineman deal is ridiculous but and you mentioned it is the reason i wanted to bring it up before is kind of the you know the the european soccer model that college football is turning into and the biggest difference is so like this summer or this, I guess, past spring, they tried to do the Super League where these, where the whole English soccer model is built on, theoretically, the team, the club that you play with on the weekends could work their way up into the highest levels of soccer due to relegation and promotion. And so they want to do the Super League, which basically would get rid of that. Like these six teams, or I guess from England, but these, these teams from all over the world, these elite teams, they stay in this one division, get the most money, you know, there's no relegation, there's no promotion, they stay here and they make all this money. And the the fans of those clubs were the ones who threw as big a fit as anybody. 
And so the fact that, you know, the, the Texas board isn't like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we can't be doing this. Like it's ruining the sport. <laughs> They're like, we know it's ruining the sport, but pour it on, keep paying, the, keep paying that money. Like that's, that's the difference. That's what's scary. And that's, that's why we need to listen to Jordan here. So I'll, I'll turn it over to him. Yeah. So, uh, when I think you threw out a, a text to the group message back in like November or something about like, you know, different podcast ideas. And one of the brainstorming ideas that I threw out there was like five crazy ideas to save college football. Uh, and then, you know, thought with, uh, I'm no stranger to crazy ideas, certainly, but I, I think uh, with Cody's op-ed in that, that article that he got where he was interviewed in the Fort Worth uh, Star Telegram, I thought, you know, probably, probably made it a timely topic um and uh anyway of course uh i think i think if as you as you've once said hunter if 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 you're just talking and no one's listening it's just a manifesto they're not even crazy ideas so uh, this would be the yeah so i got six i got six and and i i don't know maybe if you rank them this would be in in order of of you maybe how far-fetched they are but uh the first one is you know I think live football, live college football is broken. Like, like the, la- the, the the two games that my family went to this year, um, you know, it's like every time something's going on, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we're watching the game. And then the dude comes out with the orange oven mitt, you know, and the, and the little clock. And it's like TV timeout. It's like, oh, oh, oh. It just completely kills the – especially compared to like when I was a student, it just completely kills what I, I, I think the – the vibe of the game, uh, which I think is bad for the sport long-term. And I think that's part of why you see attendance. Uh, there've been some attendance struggles nationally the last couple of years. So two ideas for that would be one shortening the game. So no, no clock stoppages for first downs and things like that uh, in the first and third quarters. Uh, another idea would be don't televise. Seconded from me. Second. Uh, do we have a unanimous vote on that Hunter? Cause I think, that yeah, yeah. I liked it. a lot of your ideas, except for one. Uh, this one would make gambling interesting because it would throw off total models. It would kind of, you know, you'd have to revamp how you would think about setting a total for the game. If you could if, be, uh, you, you could become the new Haralabob for college football and design that your own first, that first year would be wild, man. Yeah. It'd be all sorts of, there'd be all sorts of uh, arbitrage to be had. Hunter. <laughs> uh, the second one is don't. Uh, don't televise point after attempts or kickoffs. This is uh, bad. Just, you know, <laughs> the problem with this, I like this idea though, but but it would kill live betting because that is when you know you, like the guy takes a kickback for a touchdown or something that's not on. <laughs> but I, I do like this one. You're, so you're you saying can show it? You know, you could show it picture in picture. Okay. I, you know, I feel like they've been doing that more in the NFL. You could show it picture in picture if you wanted to, but. Honestly, nobody cares about the point after attempt or the kickoff unless something crazy happens. And if something crazy happens, you show it uh, when you come back uh, from commercial break. And I mean, they, they do this in the NBA with free throws now. Like there's always during Mavs games, there's always a Ford commercial during free throws. So there you, you go. Could, Which that's, I do bad. Like that that's bad for America because that's teaching kids that, that free throws don't matter. But I, I <laughs> uh, and then just have a mandatory 30 second TV break in between every possession. Um, so, you know, 30, 30 second pause, then people don't, you know, have to sit down. It's like, it's just 30 seconds. Uh, oh, so instead and, of all at once, like after a drive. Yeah. 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 And that's better for advertisers too. Cause then people can't just. Boop, 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 well, the, the worst, the worst thing is, is like when you score, like a, there's a, a score with like 30 seconds left oh. in a quarter 
or something like that. And so, you know, you're about to get like five minutes of commercials and 20 seconds of game time. And that happened in the Cowboys game. And I just, I just, anyway, sorry, go ahead. It's the worst. So that takes a lot of game atmosphere. The second one is just straight up pay players. No, no, uh, no straight, no NIL uh, in its current construction. I think the idea that Hunter already mentioned is, is accurate. I think, People said, hey, look, this isn't fair. All the players are playing and they're not getting any benefit, which is short-sighted and, and lacking context and everything else. But I, I understand at least the argument. And hey, you know, if if you know, if Taylor's a division one college football player and he wants to give football less, you know, like lessons to individual high school players or 10-year-olds, he should be able to do that. And uh, I think that was a reasonable idea, but I think it was a poorly constructed solution to the idea. I think uh, that was in response to a lot of things that that I'll uh, discuss with my last three things. Um, but uh, go ahead and just pay players. Uh, they already get paid. You know, they, they get their scholarship and then they get their their check for living expenses and all the different stuff. Uh, but I think similar to Cody's proposal, maybe a slightly smaller scale. But I would say tier it by the number of years the, the player has been at the school. Uh, and so, you know, a senior is going to make more than than a freshman. And I don't think a senior needs to be making necessarily 50 grand, uh, but, you know, make what, you know, sort of a 22 year old would make if he was in a full time entry level job. Um, I think you could still do NIL money. And if someone was legitimately popular enough to like get an endorsement from a company and, and, you know, I mean, you get into how people would get around this and everything else. But um, if you wanted to do NIL money, you could put that into a trust. Uh, and so say Kevin McClure gets endorsed by Raising Canes and they say, we'll pay you $10,000 if you'll cut a couple ads for us or whatever else, uh, that gets put into a trust and gets distributed to the player once he gets his degree. Uh, and that gets distributed over like a four year period. And so at least that takes a little bit of the immediacy of basically just like, Hey, we're just going to blatantly money with players for coming to play at the university. Of yeah. Texas or whatever. What do you think about, I heard somebody say this this morning and I thought it was a really good idea is that NIL will probably eventually become a like contract where if you transfer, like it's void after that. Like if you want this money, like you're basically signing, like I will be in Lubbock for two years minimum type deal. Like there's, you're basically not going to have a Caleb Williams situation where, you know, you're in Norman for not even a, a full year basically because you signed an NIL deal that's keeping you there. I don't know if that's realistic. I just heard that. I heard that today, and I thought that was a, a pretty good idea or a way to kind of an interesting have, look. Then you just have, you know, USC or whoever paying a buyout to get that. <laughs> that's true. That's that's yeah. that's probably true. The insanity will never stop. But I mean, that's where it goes back to like if you're, you know, Spankies, and you and you. The reason the the the, the idea behind NIL is that when Michael Crabtree is a Heisman candidate, if he wants, if he loves Spankies. And they want to pay him 15 grand to do a Snapchat or something about how much he loves fried cheese. Uh, then he should be able to do that. Yeah. The idea behind denial was not, hey, look. And so if you're doing that, then you say, hey, look, well, if you'll cut these spots, we'll pay you. You don't say, hey, we'll give you a four year contract or, well, you know, we'll give you this much over this many years. Yeah. Because that's not how those things would ever work in reality anyway, if it weren't just straight up an enticement to try to get a player to play for your university. Right. And my, and one of mine, just to, cause, uh, just to stop you on yours, because it's like the total opposite of the one you just said, uh, would be to make NIL just 
what it is, name, image, and likeness, your Crabtree example. Uh, everybody had those little crab eyes yeah. that they would wear. You know, uh, he should have got a cut of that. Um, every uh, Heisman, you know, remember that Heisman campaign with uh, Graham and, and Crab, you know, they crank that crab tree. That, right. He should have got a cut of that. And it, to, to me, this is just, this would not work because it's kind of the same what we had going before, which which would require the NCAA to be able to like really police things, but make it NIL, make it fair market value for the services that a, a guy's providing. If if it's Shimanex selling furniture, he's got to sell it furniture for what the fair market value of the furniture is. It can't be some <laughs> donor buying it for twenty thousand dollars or something. And if, if you violate it, just destroy them. You know, have the NCAA like make it to where schools are like, okay, we really need to follow the rules here. If, if a guy's commanding a 500 grand for um, a commercial, that's fine. If that's really what it is, if the eyeballs are that are, you know, being generated by it um, reflect that payment, then that's fine. But um, to me, again, that's totally unrealistic because the NCAA couldn't do anything about it. But I think a simple solution would be just have NIL be what it is. Name yeah. image and likeness, not pay for play. Well, what, what my my one of my ideas so i'll interrupt for a second because it goes along with hunters is the ncaa would never do a good job at um policing the actual nil stuff so don't have the in the ncaa responsible anymore of college football um have a separate governing body with a commissioner like the NBA, the NFL, all these professional leagues where they dictate the schedule, they dictate the rules, they have a disciplinary committee, like these decisions where Baker Mayfield is suspended for a half against whoever because he ran from the police. That's not a Lincoln Riley decision. That is this governing body's decision. That's this dis disciplinary committee's decision. Um, and they're in charge of that uh, and kind of evening out you know, not only the NIL, but also schedules and also punishments and also how those things are worked. Um, and that's another spot where all of this money generated could go is those people have to, you know, earn a salary and make a living. And that's where some of this ridiculous money that's being thrown around could go. But anyway, that's, that's one of my ideas. So. That's a, that's a great, that's a, that's a great idea. Part of the problem with college athletics, honestly, is it is a cartel uh, you know, at the NCAA level, but beyond that, it's so balkanized because each conference, like it's not in, you know, Bob Bowlesby or whoever the commissioner was at the time. I think it was Bowlesby. I don't think it was BD anymore. Uh, when say they're not incentivized to step in and say, you know what, Oklahoma, that's garbage. Yeah. Uh, you you know, your, your player was on camera, you know, trying to evade arrest or whatever the case was a half against the university of central, you know, Iowa is not sufficient. Yeah. They're not incentivized to do that because they want their conferences product. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, again, it's just, it's so divvied up at, at the conference level that having, having one sort of central unified force there, if there's a way you could do it to where there wasn't, uh, you know, an inherent bias against any region or conference would certainly be helpful. For sure. Um, so I also put in there on NIL, you could require coaches uh, to contribute a uh, to pool a portion of their endorsement money. If Nick Saban gets an endorsement from Aflac, then a portion of that 
uh, has to go to the NCAA for, you know, a fund for, you know, CTE, future, you know, healthcare, or, you know, I mean, there, there could be some way that you say, hey, look, your, you know, coaches, if the problem is that coaches are profiting off of their name and likeness and players aren't able to, you could also uh, require uh, them to pool um, some portion of that. Um, you could also require players to pool any money, like say, I got a hundred thousand dollar NIL deal, uh, you know, that, you know, say maybe 75% of that comes to me after I get my degree over the course of four years. Um, but the other 25% is divvied up collectively amongst everybody else who happened to be on that team in the year that I got the actual NIL deal, um, you know, which collectively could turn into a, you know, somewhat meaning, meaningful sum. Um, but I think, and these next three are, are where people would start to go, Hey, you're, you're nuts. Um, and I think ultimately one of the things that Cody has said <clears throat> that I think is just almost impossible to overemphasize is the number of opportunities that have come from college sports and that we can't lose sight of the fact that yes, it is a big business. And yes, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars uh, being generated by this business now, but still they're being played under the banner of universities and colleges whose mission is to educate and change the lives of, you know, college age students. Um, and we can't lose sight of the number of college athletes whose lives have been, you know, irrevocably changed by having their college paid for via athletics, A. And then B, I mean, y'all would probably both say this. I know I would say that, you know, I was a very mediocre athlete, but being able to play sports even through high school taught me so much about life uh, and taught me, it absolutely contributed to me being able to have success in life. And I think that's part of Cody's point is, hey, I wouldn't be where I am today um, if I hadn't been able to play college football. And so please don't ruin this for everybody yeah. just because of don't let the exception ruin the rule. Right. And so for these for these last three, I think it's important to keep that in mind. Um, and so the first one is put a salary cap on coaching staffs. Uh, and I, I can already I can already see some people on message boards going, that's socialism. That's crazy. Well, listen, this isn't a free market. Like all of our, all of our favorite sports are just incredibly socialist. <laughs> That's all, why they work. <laughs> they're oligopolies. Like yes. they, they definitionally are not a free market. Like, you know, you and I can't start a, a, a football team tomorrow and go compete in the big 12 or the NCAA. Like there, there are, you know, significant barriers to entry and all that. They certify who can and cannot compete. It is absolutely by every definition, not a free market. Yeah. And so I don't think that a lot of those principles that apply uh, in sort of actual markets apply to this. And so I think it's silly in professional sports and college sports that there's not a salary cap on coaching staffs. And I think it's, if we all wanted to be honest with ourselves, it's ridiculous that any public university, especially private universities, you could maybe make a separate set of arguments, but certainly for a public university to pay a football coach $10 million uh, or pay a you know $20 million buyout or some of the ridiculous things that we've seen in the past couple of years, it's silly. Um, because at the end of the day, people go, oh, it's donor money, it's separate. And, you know, I can tell you, having worked in university administration, that dollars are fungible. Yeah. And, you know, most of the time, that's just not true. Um, and so I think having a salary cap for coaching staffs and support staff uh, is not just uh, an issue of being able to say, hey, this is this is going to be ridiculous and ruin college sports. It's also an issue of being able to try to encourage parity. That's why 
sports use salary caps. That's why they use the draft. Uh, why, why most leagues utilize a draft in American sports is to try to encourage some form of competitiveness and parity. So throw a salary cap on coaching staffs. So if you want to pay your head coach less and have 30 analysts, knock yourself out. Um, but make that reasonable. I think, you know, it, you're probably talking like a, you know, eight to $10 million salary cap uh, for total coaching staff budget for P5 schools and, you know, maybe some portion of that for G5 schools. I also like uh, be- before we hit record, I think it was Hunter, when you mentioned this idea, talking about how that's tied to TV revenue. Yeah. So what you could do is this, is, and yeah. this is great from the, the, you know, the communist manifesto would, would be <laughs> just to, and, and it goes with, I think you could do it with the players too, but just a percentage of the TV revenue that is, that's the salary cap for coaching staff. And then another per- percentage would be the salary cap for the players. And so it would be different. I mean, there would still be huge, a big disparity. You know, the big 10 would have a lot more money than the big 12 to pay their coaches and their players. The SEC would have a lot more money to pay their coaches and their players, but it's kind of justified, you know, if, if their TV contract is worth that much, then, then so be it. But it at least has a, a, a way to measure it uh, and kind of, uh, something that's tied to the actual dollars that are being generated by the coaches and the players. Yeah. I, I had an idea originally like, Oh, it has to be a certain percentage of the university's budget or something like that. Or can't be more X more than the highest paid employee at the university or something. But then I just thought universities would wind up spending more money and paying professors and administrators far more than they already do, which is also egregiously uh, too much. Um, but I digress. Um, fourth one is uh, compensatory scholarship uh, movement. So uh, in other words, I think part of the reason, I think it was a terrible idea to say hey, players can transfer without penalty. Uh, I think players should have to sit out a year when they transfer. Um, and part of the reason that I think that is, I think it's good for people to have to, you know, have there be some consequence when they change, when they, you know, if an if a 18 year old, uh, goes somewhere and isn't getting to play, I think it, he should be incentivized to stick it out. Um, so what, but I think the argument is people go, well, coaches leave all the time and they're not, you know, there's no penalty for them. Uh, so I would say basically if you do a lateral, if you have a lateral move, there'd be three tiers position coach two each team gets whatever, eight position coaches, two coordinators and one head coach. Uh, if you take a lateral position, um, so if you take one of those eight position coach spots, uh, at a fellow power five school, you, uh, you know, that school loses a scholarship and the other school gains a scholarship for four years and they gain an initial qualifier and you lose an initial qualifier. Um, if same thing with office coordinator, same thing with students coordinator, same thing, uh, but maybe two scholarships. And then if you hire, like if, you know, if tech wanted to hire Kansas's head coach or something. Uh, they would tech would forfeit five scholarships for a four-year period and Kansas would get an extra five scholarships for a four-year period, like make it actually painful. And I think that would stem the tide a little bit on the sort of ridiculous uh, coaching carousel that has become uh, college football. Uh, so compens- compensatory scholarships is the fourth one. That's the, the one, one. In, in my mind, that's the one that I keep swinging wildly back and forth. Like I think about it one second and I hate it. And then the next second, that's the best idea I've ever heard. And I can't, I don't know exactly where I come down on it. I think it's a good idea. May I need some, you know, things ironed out in the, in the margins, but I think I like it, but you ask me in a minute and I'll hate it. So I, I don't know. That's probably means <laughs> it's a good idea, honestly. 
Well, if that, if that could, if that is even in the running for the best idea you've heard, uh, <laughs> you, you know, you probably spend some more time around my business partner, Daniel Charbonnet comes up with more, you know, good, crazy, <laughs> wild business ideas. And we you should just come spend time with him. But, uh, and then the last one is basically instead of having like relegation and promotion, uh, which is, I think, a really cool element of, for instance, the soccer system that you mentioned, uh, instead of relegation and, uh, and promotion, have, and I don't think you need to make it punitive where the top schools lose scholarships, um, but have it where sort of the bottom 50% of, a, of each conference gets extra scholarships and initial qualifiers each year. So say Kansas finishes, finishes 10th in the Big 12 instead of just having whatever the number of initial qualifiers they get, whatever it is, 25, uh, maybe the next year they get 30 initial qualifiers and 28 scholarships. Um, then you see attributable to that class. Imagine late in the season when a, a, class, a school is trying to fill their class and like, okay, we got this guy, but we don't have room for him. But if we lose out, we will be able to sign him. <laughs> Tanking. Yeah. Yes, that would be I think the incentive for tanking is far less for Kansas being able to potentially take a like a two star uh, dude from, you know, directional Kansas junior college versus maybe being able to get the number one pick and get, you know, Zion or whoever. Uh, but still, I think the point remains that, that when, when you talk about college football, I feel like the number one complaint once you get past like if people have particular bones to pick with an IL or everything else. The number one issue people have with college football is what? The dominance of, oh, oh great. We get to watch Georgia and Alabama. Yeah, play. same team. Awesome. Same, yeah, yeah. And, and so I think there is an element where, you know, if you could encourage uh, parity, and I think the, the, the easiest way to do that is by allocating, you know, more scholarships to the teams. Uh, <clears throat> and the reason I don't think making it punitive, like, hey, you're Alabama, you lose some scholarships next year because – you know, you just won the national championship is that I think that ultimately, you know, you could argue that hurts kids. If you do this sort of like, you know, give extra scholarships to the teams that finish in the bottom half on a sort of like proportionally reduced basis uh, where like the sixth place team would maybe get one and the last place team might get <clears throat> five or whatever. Uh, and by the way, I also said you would exempt those from Title IX. So those don't count. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I don't know how anybody could argue against that because that's just more free college uh, for, for, for more kids. So anyway, I, I think that might help just make things just a little more balanced. It's in no one's best interest for Kansas to be just complete, you know, uh, three alarm backwoods tire fire uh, every year at football. Like, that's not fun. Uh, so uh, anyway. Unfortunately, on on the NIL, the current model, I think it will it should in theory uh, there will be some more competitive balance, right? Because if you have A and M, and this is why I think when when I look at the stats for this podcast, traditionally we have like you know ninety five percent people listen all the way through. I don't think that's gonna. I could be wrong. I don't think that's gonna be the case for this one because as a tech fan, this is it's a bit depressing to think about just. NIL in general and, and just the changes to college football. So people probably don't want to hear about it, but with, you know, if a is paying $20 million, if, if that's true, just assume it is for a signing class, you know, Alabama and Georgia and some of these other schools are probably not, they're probably going to lose some games eventually to, to teams that are willing to just pay and just, you know, obscene amounts of money to get 
players. So they're, you know, from a parity standpoint, it, there may be some arguments that the current model is going to increase that. Yeah, I like I like the, all those ideas, and I think I do think so, it needs to be addressed. Um, I mean, my 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 own interest is waning, and like I'm the last person who should be you know, have, you know, waning interest in this sport that we all enjoy. But like, I, I didn't watch the playoff games. I knew what was going to happen. What was the point of watching, you know? And um, I do think I like your ideas, like what Hunter mentioned. I, I think expanding the playoff to tw- like, I, I think we should get rid of the playoff and go back to the, the bowl system, which I never thought I would say, but I do think that's what should be done. That will never be done. So my realistic fix is get it to 12 as soon as possible. Um, just because schools like Tech, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, those schools can, in, in, in a world, f- figure out like or think we can get 12, like at some point in the next three, four years, we can get a 12, an 11 seed. Those schools are never getting a top four seed. And so you at least have an attainable goal for basically every power five school so that I would expand the playoff. Um, and then, like I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the idea of, of having a commissioner, a governing body that's kind of in charge of all of these things. And they don't necessarily have those regional interests. Um, I think that would help. So th- those would be my two to add. And the, I, to me, I, I think the doomsday scenario isn't that bad. And so I think the re, the reaction to the reaction. So if assume we do uh, Cody Campbell's deal where there's going to be a cap, uh, I would imagine that the SEC would just say, okay, we're, we're out of here. You know, we'll add Ohio state, Michigan, USC. I don't know, maybe they get to say 18 teams or so. And they just branch off. They say, we're not, we're not going to be subject to that. Uh, we're going to pay players as much as we want. And we, and then the, the rest of schools say, okay, you know, I mean, well, not that they have a choice, but we go and do our own thing and implement any number of things that we've talked about, but we're just, it's just a separate deal. And, you know, I think we played Mississippi state. I, I don't know that interest would be, I think people, a lot of people would watch the secondary quote unquote league. Um, you know, more people watch tech, the Mississippi state bowl game than watched I mean, it was huge ratings. It was more than watched the college baseball national championship. I saw some Mississippi State fans lamenting that. They're like, more people watched us get our ass kicked by Tech than. <laughs> and, and, you know, so I think if you, if that happened, you know, there'd be maybe just the Power Five less, all the blue, blood, blue bloods, and we would play and have a 16 team playoff, play an eight game schedule. And, you know, it, it would be kind of like the NFL or something where, you know, we tech plays Baylor, TCU, Oklahoma state every year, but then uh, no, you don't play any G five schools. You just play, you know, uh, maybe six, seven or eight more and you seed them up and, and play. I don't, I mean, to me, that would be kind of fun. I wouldn't, I wouldn't watch any of the SEC stuff other than gambling related interests. But. Yeah. No, I don't and, think that, I guess my point is I don't think that doomsday scenario, which I think is very, very possible. I yes, mean, I really, yeah. really think it's possible that that happens, that they branch off and, and do their own thing. And I don't think it's as bad as maybe we, we think. It well, it's, it goes back to my soccer example. Like those, like the, the champ, the, the English championship and league one, league two, like especially the championship, they do just fine. 
those teams aren't in the top league. They're still selling out their stadiums. Like the finances are wonky, but that's just soccer. Um, but like the, the engagement and the attendance and all of that is like, there's nothing wrong there. And so I, I do think there's a point to that because I saw an idea somewhere where you, and I guess this could kind of be that is that SEC conference becomes basically the NFL's minor league. And so you have like those top tier players playing in the NFL's minor league system and, you know, the three stars, the, the, the recruits that tech usually gets those schools, you know, they kind of fill out the re- the actual conferences, these other schools. Um, and, you know, so you, you basically miss out on the top tier talent, but you're still watching your school. Um, and maybe the talent is a little even across the board, but I don't know, but, I like what Hunter said better than that minor league system, but it kind of reminded me of it. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm approaching this from the standpoint of kind of keeping in mind, again, that thing that, <clears throat> that I felt like Cody is a great poster child for, which is that college sports, they, they only matter. I mean, honestly, like the reason that they matter so much is that people take pride in their alma maters. And it's it's about bragging rights. It's about you know, sort of what it says about each of our individual identities uh, and and all those sorts of things. And I I think that that, uh, you know, that's part of what makes it special. And that's, you know, part of what makes it go. And that, as a result of that, uh, provides the ability to change, honestly, change lives for not just the, you know, seven rounds worth of of, uh, young men who get drafted every year by the NFL, but for the, you know, thousands of others that will never play a snap in the NFL uh, that have their life sort of changed by uh, college football or college sports in general. So I, I really, really hope that it doesn't go the way of the, uh, like, like what y'all just mentioned. Unfortunately, I had, actually was talking about this today with, uh, with a guy who was on uh, board of regents for one of our uh, fellow big 12 members who said, you know, he, he thinks that's everybody's biggest fear is that ESPN basically poaches those guys and, goes away. And I, I told him, I said, look, I had a professor uh, in, uh, in, in college in the personal financial planning program at Tech who said, with financial planning, you can either do it or you can have it done to you. But either way, uh, it's coming. It's coming for you. Uh, you can't <laughs> just ignore uh, the financial planning aspects of your life. Uh, and I think, you know, college sports would college sports in general, the leadership would be foolish uh, to ignore the freight trains coming down the pipes. So I think what they need to do is just install the three of us as the college football czars and we, we will, you know, implement all these ideas with the exception maybe of the not televising the kickoff so that the, uh, so that Vegas doesn't have to have anybody kneecapped. And uh, no, I uh, there were probably a million better ideas than, than, than any of the ones that I wrote down, but I just, I, I love college sports way too much. And uh, I think, I think, uh, any of these, uh, you know, uh, uh, if somebody was ever crazy enough to implement them, might actually just work. That's my story, at least. I think that was good. I think, it's, like you said, I think it's an important conversation to have with people who have more influence than we do. Um, so it probably won't. Um, <laughs> it, it, I assume that the NCAA will take the it will be done to you situation that your uh, professor presented to you, unfortunately. But uh, I like assumed if I could get the ideas in y'all's ear that y'all would just, it would probably, you know, I assumed well, most of the decision makers were listeners. Uh, oh, yeah. Well. They're one, yeah, there's some of the 20, that's for sure. Uh, well, we did get Sonny Cumbiard, according to some. <laughs> <laughs> 
hired and then promoted. So you're welcome, Sonny. We'll go with that. Yeah. We'll go with that. All right. Well, that was good stuff. Y'all got anything else before we get out of here? I don't think so. I, I really, I'm going to be interested. I don't think anybody made it this far. But I, and I'm not, it's not our, it's not our fault. I think it's a, people don't want to hear about it. It's like things you don't like, you don't want to hear about. It's like out of sight, out of mind. I pretend um, I do not see it. Yeah, this is coming That's down right. the pike. Yeah. That's right. But, yeah, what's uh, what's y'all's final score projection for tomorrow night? A lot to a little. You know, I don't know. It's um, what's the line? Let's see. Has it moved yet? Should be up. You're talking about Iowa State, Texas Tech basketball? You're darn skippy. Yeah, that's what I assumed. Okay. Doing this on the fly. You know, we got some guys out, apparently. Um, at least sounds like rumors on the message boards of Kevin McCuller. When you look at the social media posts that are up there, should like five or six guys. We may have even more out, maybe from COVID. I'm not sure. Um, the line is currently tech minus tech plus one and a half. So it has moved a little bit wow. in their in their favor. If it's as bad as what I'm hearing it could be. I would think it's going to be, you know, Iowa State will be a five or six point favorite. But, you know, we could, it sounds like we'll have our core like O'Banner, Bryson, um, and <laughs> who else? I don't know. Um, Clarence, <laughs> you you Warren, ran out of names. Davion Warren, Adonis Arms. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be tough to, to win a game with just six or seven, eight guys. But, um, you know, you saw, you know, Kansas State put up a pretty good fight against uh, Texas in a similar situation. Of course, they were playing at home. Um, I would, I would think we're going to lose tomorrow. Unfortunately, if the game is played. Yes, and, I, and I'm hoping I, it doesn't like whatever's I'm, I'm happening. I'm hoping the game doesn't get played. Well, I, I'm kind of hoping it does because if it doesn't, I don't think that bodes well for this weekend. And I'm going, or I'm planning on going this weekend. So oh. we'll see. There you go. All comes back to Hunter. What, right. what is what is best for Hunter? That's what the Red Raiders will do. <laughs> So, all right. Well, that was good. Uh, next time Jordan has a manifesto, he's free to come on whenever he wants. So uh, we'll see him soon, I'm sure. So we'll talk to you guys later.